Okay, hello everybody. Today is Monday, another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. Recently on the channel, I had done a couple of episodes about the suspect ratings as well as the unconfirmed crime readings of the Zodiac Killer. That last one I just mentioned was called How Many People Did the Zodiac Killer Murder? And it looked at the unconfirmed crimes that could have possibly been connected to the Zodiac Killer and rated the likelihood of them actually being committed by the Zodiac on a scale of 1 to 10. And before that, there were two episodes called Suspect Ratings that looked at each suspect and the likelihood of that suspect actually being the Zodiac, also rated on a scale of 1 to 10. If you haven't heard those yet, I would invite you to um, have a listen. They're here on YouTube. And now the show has been made available for free on Launchpad DM. There are even a couple bonus episodes and the first cuts, first drafts of some episodes available on Launchpad DM. You can download the audio of that as a pure podcast. It is, there's a link to that in the description box. And if you'd like to download the video, you can always use YouTube Premium. In addition to that, there is also a bunch of stuff that you can find in the description box talking all about um, Instagram as well as Facebook and then the Teespring pages. But to get to today's episode, I thought that we could look at the biggest piece of evidence for, in favor of a suspect's likelihood of um, some type of involvement with the case, and then the biggest piece of evidence against. And it's going to go pretty quickly. I wanted to do this because there has been a new suspect that has been brought forward by Michael Morford of ZodiacKillerSite.com, and he looked at this guy named Suspect McDuff. We're just going to call him that. I know people have been sharing his name all around the internet and even in the comment section here on Black Box Online Radio. You guys are always welcome to comment, and I don't even think it's a heavily guarded secret anymore, but I'm just going to keep referring to him as Suspect McDuff because that was the original plan. And I talked about how I, I really saw one piece of evidence in favor of his guilt in the case, and then another piece of evidence that was um, against. So I thought, why don't we do that with a lot of the major suspects and then see how we respond to them. And if you think of something that you would want to include in a discussion about a Zodiac killer suspect, Please put that in the comments section below. Share anything you would like. Or if there's a suspect that you will not uh, be able to hear in this episode, maybe you can do some requests. And if there are enough requests, then maybe there can be a part two. But let's begin with Suspect McDuff, because he has been in the news recently. I think the biggest piece of evidence in favor of him is the timeline that has been put forward by Mike Morford when he talked about how the Zodiac stopped activity for 1972 and 1973. This is often referred to as the two-year halt in Zodiac activity. Some people describe it as 71 to 73 or 71 to 74. It really seems like the Zodiac doesn't resurface again until 1974. And Mike Morford's explanation for this was his suspect, McDuff, was starting a new job with the Department of Corrections, and he either sorted his life out or he was under more surveillance, or people were looking into his activities, and in short, he didn't want to jeopardize um, his current situation by exposing himself through Zodiac communications. But then, in 1974, he got married, and in the months leading up to his marriage, there was the Exorcist letter, which talks all about 
plunging into the suicide's grave, titwillow, titwillow, titwillow. So some people think that that is an end to the Zodiac Killer mystery. I think that this is convincing, and I am going to show a um, photo of McDuff, even though we won't be saying his name. As I said, people are sharing the, these online. I think that um, this is convincing because it answers all the questions about the time frame, why the crimes were committed at th these times, why the letters stopped at these times, and to be very direct, it's because the guy sorted his life out because he would have been 23 at the time of the first murder in 1968. He is some type of rejected, frustrated, antisocial individual. Allegedly, 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 Macduff has never been um, completely convicted of this, even in the court of public opinion. So, but he allegedly was a rejected antisocial individual who used the Zodiac Killer persona as a way to unleash his frustrations on society for perhaps being sexually rejected by women, not being able to have a heterosexual relationship, as well as someone who probably did not have a super optimistic future because he didn't start his major career-oriented job until 1971 when he was working for what Morph described as the state, and by the state he meant that he had some role with the Department of Corrections, where he spent the majority of his career and then married in 1974. Once the pieces of his life came together, then he didn't need to connect to the Zodiac Killer persona more. So I think the biggest thing that goes against McDuff as a Zodiac Killer suspect is he has certain facial characteristics that the witnesses perhaps did not report too much. If you look at the composite after the Stein shooting, I think the composite has a much more, it's a much more narrow nose, and McDuff had very large ears. If he were the Zodiac Killer, and it is possible, he would have had to have glued his ears onto the side of his head. I think that that would have come up much more frequently in the descriptions. And um, he is almost just about borderline when it comes to the height. So I just um, wanted to share that one. Now let's move on to a different suspect. As I said, you can uh, add in any commentary you want in the comments section down below. Let's talk about perhaps the most famous Zodiac Killer suspect, Arthur Lee Allen. I think the biggest piece of evidence in favor of Allen is to view him as an active participant because we actually have to do this one a little out of order in the discussion, because you have to say the biggest piece of evidence against Allen, and that is that he was exonerated because of DNA. But you're talking about DNA and writer's palm, all of those things. That's like the side palm print that's pressed against the letter when he would have been writing it. All that stuff didn't match Arthur Lee Allen. And contrary to uh, the David Fincher film from 2007, various sources report that Arthur Lee Allen did give handwriting samples with both his left hand and his right hand. It does seem like that line that was in the movie, if you ever get a chance to watch that one with uh, John Carroll Lynch, talking about how he is a left-handed person, but they tried to make him write with his right hand when he was growing up. So he isn't completely ambidextrous, but he learned how to write with his right hand, so, but he, and he provided handwriting samples to the authorities with um, both hands, and all of this stuff has come back against Arthur Lee Allen. I don't think that it would be possible to say that Allen was the single perpetrator in the Zodiac Killer mystery, and that's why I said that you have to do this one out of order. The biggest piece of evidence against him is all of the forensic material came back negative.
not, not matching, it is quite possible that we do not have the DNA of the Zodiac Killer because it's most likely touch DNA from outside the envelope, like on the stamp. And people are like, well, that doesn't have to be the Zodiac. That could have been a postal worker, letter carrier, Joe Schmo or something, maybe picked up the letter and put it in someone else's mailbox. Hey, this is in the wrong place. The only thing that I think would save the DNA in question is maybe the forensic scientists know something that I don't, and I hope that forensic scientists know something that I don't. Otherwise, that would be a really lousy job to have if it's just things that you can just get offline and such, and maybe they know how to evaluate DNA in a way to be very certain that this type of touch DNA came from pressing down on the stamp that was on the outside of the envelope. I mean, they might have some tricks up their sleeves that I am not aware of. So with Alan, I think the strongest way to look at him is as an active participant. And that's it because Alan may have been exonerated as being the entire full package Zodiac killer. But instead, as an active participant, he is still well alive in the game. Numerous people still think that Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac Killer, and they have all kinds of reasons for this. Perhaps it's because he is heavily connected to another Zodiac suspect, Don Cheney, or perhaps it's because they just cannot accept that there's this mountain of evidence that has been assembled into Robert Graysmith's book, Zodiac and Zodiac Unmasked, that make Allen look so guilty. And when I was corresponding with Tom Voigt for a different episode, it was actually the one we did on Richard Gutkowski, he pointed out that Robert Graysmith was not the person who thought of, the, uh, thought of Arthur Lee Allen. Like, Robert Graysmith didn't control the police department. He may have written the book Zodiac in 1986, but he didn't write the search warrants that the police were using to look into Arthur Lee Allen. And in fact, Allen is the most famous suspect because... He was identified by the police. So all of that seems to come into play, and people are thinking that they had legitimate reason to look into Arthur Leal. I mean, the police investigated him, and they checked him out numerous times. Maybe you've even seen that interview with Arthur Leal where the camera is, like, on him, but his face is all blacked out, and you can only see his eye, and he's like, oh, they keep looking into me. At times, it can be horribly depressing and so on. So that's why Alan has to be viewed as you could create a narrative of him as an active participant. Maybe he committed the Lake Herman Road murders in 1968. Maybe he was the errand boy who dropped some things in the mailbox, and he also could have been a location scout. All of that. I mean, if, 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 right? We're just looking at some possibilities right now. I would like to go on to a different suspect who perhaps isn't the first Zodiac killer suspect that people would think about. I've just been going down somewhat of a Tate LaBianca rabbit hole, and I'll share some more of that on the Wednesday show for the AMA, and that is Bruce Davis. Bruce Davis was a member of the Manson family. For a time, he was Charles Manson's right-hand man, and he was sentenced to life in prison for his involvement with the Manson murders, particularly the murder of Gary Hinman. Although a lot of people do believe that Bruce Davis com either committed more murders or he was an active participant in other murders and so on. But with Bruce Davis, when I heard Howard Davis's interview on the Tate LaBianca radio program, I was reminded of something that I had read years ago about Davis as a Zodiac suspect. 
And that is that, listen to this narrative. This is the biggest piece for the authorities figured out what happened. They figured out that Bruce Davis was the Zodiac killer. They found Lake Berryessa Hood in his possession. They even have this file that's locked in, you know, it's in a vault that contains some secret info about Bruce Davis. They have figured it out. Why wouldn't they make a public statement about it, and why wouldn't they just leave the case open? Because if they did, in 1969, you had Charles Manson and the family being arrested. Then they went on to have perhaps the most expensive trial in the history of the world. The um, trial for the Tate-LaBianca murders with Manson and Susan Atkins and Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkel, as well as, of course, Davis going to jail for life in prison. And I didn't even mention Tex Watson yet. Okay, so they just had this super expensive, super high-profile trial. Then, if Bruce Davis were to be convicted of the Zodiac crimes, they would have to extradite him to a different jurisdiction to have another $2 million trial for some guy who's already going to be serving either life in prison or um, the death penalty. And this happens all the time. This is why I said it's the strongest um, piece of evidence put forward in the Bruce Davis theory, because it's looking at uh, something that happens all the time in the true crime world. I was just listening to an episode of the I Survived podcast, and they said that exact same thing. Like, some, a man attacked a woman, and then forensic science was able to determine the identity of the man years later, and the authorities simply told the woman, all right, we know the man who attacked you, but he's already serving a life sentence in another state for murder. We're not going to extradite him into this state for someone who's already serving a life sentence for murder. This is going to be the closure that you're going to get. These things happen all the time. So I can follow that narrative and I can comprehend that. The biggest piece of evidence against Bruce Davis is how do you place him within 100 miles of the crime scenes before before they the murders occurred? on the days the murders occurred. You I mean, you don't have to talk about how he's standing at Blue Rock Springs on the 4th of July holding a 9mm gun in his hand. No. How do you get him even in the vicinity of these crimes? Because Bruce Davis has actually addressed the allegations of being the Zodiac Killer, and his big response to that was he was out of the country for December of 1968 at the time of the Lake Herman Road murders, and he was in England, then moved to continental Europe and maybe visited North Africa. And when I said moved, I just meant he, he was visiting. That was an extended trip, and he was not like a permanent resident of anywhere in continental Europe. But um, that's his uh, rebuttal, that he wasn't even in the country at the time of two of the murders, David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. I mean, one double homicide that took place at Lake Herman Road. The Zodiac-Manson connection also can be shaped in different ways, and there is... um. One theory that we discussed in the episode, the Zodiac Manson Conspiracy, which um, is that it's not only Bruce Davis who committed the crimes. Charles Manson ordered them, but there were actually three different members of the Manson family. And then it's like, okay, well, you can't blame it all on Bruce Davis. Now you have to start adding additional justifications to make the theory work. So I think that Bruce Davis's whereabouts for the early part of 1969 and the later part of 1968 are the biggest strike against him. So going on to another Zodiac suspect, 
You've already said his name once in this episode, and that is Richard Gajkowski. Gajkowski has been viewed as the prime suspect on ZodiacKiller.com. His name was up at the top of the suspect list and read for ages. And Geik is someone who, to the credit of Tom Voigt, he was actually able to place him in California from 1963 to um, 1969—of course, he was present in California in 69—but I think that if we do the piece of evidence against first, it's the entire story. It's that Richard Gajkowski isn't just the Zodiac killer. The Zodiac operated from 1968 to 1969, the Lake Huron Road murders to the murder of Paul Stein on October 11th of 69. It's the giant narrative— that Richard Gajkowski is a master criminal, and he's just committing murders, perhaps as early as the 1962 murder of Ray Davis. But um, he was definitely in California in 1963 at the time of the uh, Domingo Sedwards murders near Gaviota. So you have just this Richard Gajkowski master criminal angle where Geik is just a homicidal maniac going around California, and nobody even bats an eyelash. No one has any idea what's going on, partnered with the fact that he was a paranoid schizophrenic and heavy drug user, someone who wouldn't have been in complete control of his mental faculties. Oh, sure, you would be like, all right, well, um, maybe he was just really smart, or maybe there are other serial killers who commit crimes and get away with that and people don't figure out who it is, but those people tend to be more in control as opposed to someone who is on the verge of just going out of control at any second. I think the biggest piece of evidence in favor of Gajkowski being the Zodiac Killer is his connection to Darlene Farron. As I said, I was discussing this with Tom Voigt for that episode, Zodiac, Richard Gajkowski, AMA, that's an Ask Me Anything, when I was looking at questions and comments about Richard Gajkowski. And what he said was, Ken Narlo, the investigator, told Tom Voigt personally that Gajkowski could have been placed in Darlene Farron's home at the um, in the previous months before her murder on July 4th of 1969. Well, what, why is that significant? Because, okay, you have this guy, Gajkowski, who is a homicidal maniac. He may have been committing murders since 1962. Why write letters and compose these ciphers? Well, there could have been an encounter with Darlene Farron in which Geik was somewhat sexually humiliated by her. Darlene Farron was rumored to have numerous affairs. Even though she was married, she was almost certainly having an affair with Mike Majot, the man she was with at the Blue Rock Springs shooting on July 4th. And if there was some type of sexual humiliation going on with Gajkowski, then after that crime, Geik would have to try and morph himself into this new serial killer persona a way to restore a broken ego, or a way to just get revenge on everyone who had pushed this psychotic and heavy drug user in the wrong direction. But Gajkowski has also been rumored to have a definitive connection to Paul Stein, and Paul Stein was, um, Paul Stein lived on the street where Richard Gajkowski worked for a while when Gajkowski was running the switchboard, and it's also rumored that Richard Gajkowski attended Paul Stein's funeral. So then you have connections to multiple victims, actually. But this Darlene Farron um, angle uh, stood out to me because 
at first, I think I even said this in the episode, uh, Zodiac, Richard Gajkowski, AMA, I was like, okay, Gajk had a sexual encounter gone wrong with Darlene Farron. He was a homosexual, but he wasn't completely certain that he was gay in 1969, if I've understood that. And um, if anybody who is really up to date on the Gajk narrative, including Tom Voigt, can challenge me or wants to correct anything, they can put that in the comments section below. All right, so... I think what I said was that he, if he had this encounter with Darlene Farron where he was sexually humiliated and then he just decides to start mailing in letters and the cryptograms, well, she wouldn't have been the first Zodiac killer victim. What about the murder of Betty Lou Jensen? What about the murder of Sherry Jo Bates? What about the murder of Linda Edwards? Why write the letters only for... 1969 and onwards, like all of a sudden after the murder of Darlene Farron, ah, wait, after he had that bad encounter, she would have been the first victim before the letters were mailed in the summer of 1969. So then I had a brief aha moment, and I think, though, that wraps it up rather nicely, though, as a way to culminate the Gajkowski discussion. The biggest piece of evidence for is his connection to Darlene Farron. And the second one, the biggest piece of evidence against, is the entire Geik Master criminal ankle because it's a very big package to sell. And if you have all of these different crimes, 62, 63, 64, maybe the Swindle murders as well, and then the Sherry Jo Bates in 66 and onward, there are more ways in which that theory could go wrong. So, on to... Another Zodiac Killer suspect, I would like to go to Gareth Penn's Time 17 and talk about his prime suspect, in his mind, Michael Henry O'Hare. Gareth Penn was someone who really wanted to look at the mathematical signatures in the Zodiac Killer mystery, and O'Hare was a suspect that he found um, for a couple reasons. Part of it is the um, his name, his age, it's every detail you can imagine. It's looking at every possible detail and trying to think that there is some type of clue that is connected to mathematics, and that the Zodiac Killer would have to be someone who had a very intense education in mathematics, and much more so than just, say, for example, someone who had a degree in sociology. However, um, Michael O'Hare's degree, I believe, is actually in architecture, but that's more of what people in the post-Gareth Penn era, if you want to call it that, look at someone who was an architect or a mathematician, or an engineer, or even if they don't have that type of education, a pilot or a sailor, someone who's working with aviation, or something to do with um, nautical charts and so on. But with Michael O'Hare, I absolutely do not believe that he was the Zodiac Killer, but for the purpose of this discussion, I think the biggest piece of evidence that Gareth Penn put forward is the connection to automobiles. I know that sounds really weird, right? But it's about how you have somebody approaching the victims in the way that they were done. And then the murder of Cecilia Shepard took place at Lake Berryessa. And then the Zodiac walked back to the car and wrote a message on Brian Hartnell's Carmen Ghia. The next crime was the murder of Paul Stein on October 11th of 1969. Paul Stein was murdered in a taxi, and then his body was just left there. Mostly the killer didn't try to move Paul Stein out of the taxi to the best of our knowledge. But then 
Gareth Penn also believed that Michael O'Hare committed the 1981 murder of Joan Webster, and you had the Zodiac is now driving the taxi. He would have picked up Joan Webster from a taxi line at Logan Airport on November 28th of 1981 and try to persuade her to get into either an illegal taxi or perhaps because they were both connected to the Harvard Architecture Department. Joan Webster was a graduate student in architecture. Then she got into his car and he drove her somewhere, murdered her, and then buried her body in a place near Hamilton, Massachusetts, in the woods near Chebacco Road. So you have and the murder of Paul Stein, the Zodiac is riding in the taxi as a passenger. Then, with the murder of Joan Webster, the Zodiac is driving the taxi as the driver. It's, it's like there's this type of full-circle power dynamic that is going on, or there's some sort of back-and-forth element. And then Joan Webster's body is buried in the ground, and Gareth Penn has his own reasons for that, saying that he thought that... Um, Joan Webster was meant to be hidden, that her body was supposed to be hidden in the ground. The Zodiac wanted to leave the bodies of the victims in place, whether it's Sherry Jo Bates, Betty Lou Jensen, and David Faraday, all the way to the murder of Paul Stein. That was intentional. Then with the murder of Joan Webster, the Zodiac wanted to hide one of the victims. It's another element of the mystery. The biggest piece of evidence is against... Michael O'Hare being the Zodiac Killer, by O'Hare's own admission, which you can read for yourself online, he says he wasn't even in the state of California at the time of the Zodiac crimes. And he is one of the few people who actually wrote a rebuttal saying, no, I'm not the Zodiac Killer and I'm not the murderer of Joan Webster. And I read off um, a challenge piece that someone had written to Gareth Penn saying as well that for 30 years, Gareth Penn has talked about his Zodiac suspect, Michael Henry O'Hare, that's Michael H2H, Michael H2O, there's your bodies of water connection, right? I kid thee not. But he cannot even place his suspect in the state of California. And it's not, once, one more time, it doesn't mean that he, well, well is he standing at Lake Berryessa on September 27th? Was he even in the state of California? O'Hare says no, and it doesn't appear that there is um, anything that Gareth Penn has found to um, completely challenge him on that. But I would like to then go on to the next one, and that is the theory of Ray Grant. Ray Grant looked at a larger, I guess you could call it, conspiracy behind the Zodiac Killer murders, or let's just say an element of the group murder theory in that Michael O'Hare was the trigger man for the Zodiac crimes, but he was also aided and abetted by three accomplices, Gareth Penn, Hugh Penn, Gareth's father, and Michael O'Hare's mother, Berta Margulies. I was thinking about doing this on the AMA because somebody had written a post on Tapatalk, or it might be pronounced Tapatalk, I'm not sure even to this day, every single time, and it was called, Why Has Ray Grant's theory on the Zodiac been dismissed. I do have an episode about Ray Grant's theory, but um, because they phrased this as a question, I thought it could fit in nicely to the AMA. However, I think now is a good time to do this. And this is written by Jose from 2019. Don't know if this has been covered before. I couldn't find much in a search. I recently was reading from Ray Grant's book after listening to his interview on the House of Mystery radio show a while back. 
and his theory of the Zodiac crimes seems interesting and worthy of more investigation. Yet when I Google it, I only find archives of threads which have been people who have been mocking Grant or disregarding his work as almost the work of a madman, and I haven't seen any kind of intellectual dismissal of the ideas. And I thought that was a really good question. Even if you were just to do some type of thought experiment, if you would like to uh, use that terminology, and um, just, well, what would be the merits of fragrance theory that you could discuss? And the reason why I didn't uh, read this one off uh, sooner is because Ray Grant himself had responded to this post here. And, I mean, I think that this is the th biggest piece of info, the biggest piece of evidence in favor of Ray Grant's theory involving Gareth Penn, Hugh Penn, Berta Margulies, and Michael O'Hare. So, um, uh, this is that, my general theory is that the Zodiac murders are an extremely sinister example of conceptual art a project which was thought up back in the early to mid-1960s by four conspirators, Berta Margulies, Michael O'Hare, Gareth Penn, and Hugh Penn, and then sent into motion in Riverside, California in 1966. The Zodiac Project consisted of murders and other assaults and demonstrations involving actual victims and advertisements such as the Zodiac Letters and the call to the Oakland PD that resulted in the Channel 7 show with Melvin Belli. The project was intended to come to an end on Friday, August 11th, but 1989, but it never came to that. So thank you to Ray Grant for responding to that publicly. And as I said, I didn't mention that in an AMA because, well, you have the author giving his own response, and uh, I certainly couldn't do better than that. The conceptual art angle, I think, is something of, well, much as Jose said, deserves more discussion, because even... The people who would not necessarily endorse Ray Grant's theory, but think that it's about creating a criminal masterpiece loaded with mathematical signatures, I think that that is going down the pathway of conceptual art. But um, I th let's just uh, keep uh, going with Ray Grant's post because he'll explain a little more. The main reason people who are interested in the Zodiac case find that the theory is nonsensical is because they are unfamiliar with conceptual art. The most recent example of such a project was that scale was the Gates in Central Park. That project began in 1979 and wasn't realized until 2005, which means it actually had a longer time span than the Zodiac Project, 26 years instead of 23. And um, I think that um, you can see what he's talking about, that this is something that does happen. People do create criminal forms of conceptual art, and I think that that is the biggest angle. I said, though, this in my episode, Zodiac Killer Ray Grant Theory, which I invite you to listen to. My biggest piece of evidence against this is Ray Grant, by his own admission, cannot explain how these four individuals met up, how these four individuals planned this together, how these four individuals corresponded, and how they interacted. He cannot explain how there is any type of relationship among these four people. Oh, yes, conceptual art. I can follow you there. But these four specific people, how do we know that they had some type of alliance or understanding, or they had some type of genuine communication? I mean, there there are, I mean, there are numerous pieces of evidence about Gareth Penn trying to contact Michael O'Hare and interacting with Michael O'Hare. But even in the book Time Seventeen, Gareth Penn talks about how 
His phone would ring once at odd times throughout the day, and he was convinced that Michael O'Hare was sending him clues in these one-ring phone calls. I don't buy into that, though, Gareth Penn's theory, that is. I also do not think that Michael O'Hare was, um, well, that his, uh, that he was the Zodiac Killer. Also, on to the next suspect. I would like to talk about Donald Lee Cheney, someone whom we have mentioned previously in this episode as well. Don Cheney is a suspect who is heavily connected to the prime suspect, Arthur Lee Allen. I think the biggest piece of evidence in favor of Don Cheney is the psychological profile. He matches the psychological profile almost perfectly, and that is because Don Cheney is the kind of person who would have been the gifted underachiever, someone with a mechanical engineering degree, someone with a high IQ, someone who was educated but also very crude, someone who was an engineer but also couldn't hold down stable employment, and also the family man, someone who was married and had children and had to commit crimes on nights, evenings, weekends, and holidays, because those are the only times that he could get away from his wife and kids, as well as committing the Lake Herman Road murders in 1968, moving out of the Bay Area during that seven-month gap from December 20th of 1968 to the next murder, July 4th of 1969, and then throughout the summer and fall of 1969, using the excuse of going back to the Bay Area for hunting trips and fishing trips or something, to that effect, Don Chaney was an avid big game hunter, and that was discussed recently on an episode of the Zodcast hosted by Drew Beeson. If you don't listen to that show yet, I highly recommend it. So, I mean, all of those things fall in place with Don Chaney. He has that mold of someone who would be the serial killer who is hiding in plain sight. Now, the biggest piece of... Um, evidence against Don Chaney is something that uh, people have talked about frequently in the comments section. They say that they don't think that he is a serial killer hiding in plain sight. They think he's just someone who was jerking the police around. He wanted to be interviewed. He wanted to be mentioned in Robert Graysmith's book. He made up a bunch of stories because, just for that reason, so that he would be interviewed. And um, some people actually even say that Chaney and Allen, just you guys in the comments section, that is, Cheney and Allen were both doing the same thing. Even though Allen was a suspect, he was also just jerking the police around. The kind of guy that wants to get interviewed while wearing a Zodiac watch for being the Zodiac killer. He is trolling the police. They, um, they also just wanted the focus on them. Robert Graysmith even talked about this in his book Zodiac Unmasked to a certain extent when he said that Allen liked being the prime suspect. And um, perhaps Allen knew that he would not be completely convicted of the murders. So then why not wear his Zodiac watch to be interviewed by the police? Because he probably knew that he wasn't the sole perpetrator of the Zodiac killer. When it comes to challenging the Don Chaney narrative, there is, of course, also the um, rebuttal that had been written by Tom Voigt that said Don Chaney couldn't be the Zodiac killer because he had a big nose. And, um, I mean, if we're going to talk about Macduff and the ears, I just wanted to include that one there. But with Cheney, um, I would actually like to provide an additional piece of, um, challenge. And that would just be, if Cheney did move out of the area, then he is also someone who is getting, uh, farther and farther away from the crime scenes. I do have to confess, though, 
Don Chaney has some very similar handwriting to the Zodiac Killer, and he also has a definitive connection to this story. I think this is how Don went on to become a suspect. He wasn't someone who is just somebody's dad or somebody's uncle that gets pulled into the mix, or like someone looks up a name from Deer Lodge Prison in Montana. He was someone who was present the whole time. He's in California. He knows Arthur Lee Allen. And he also even went to college with Paul Avery at Bakersfield Junior College when Paul Avery was what the director of student assemblies was it, and when they put on the production of The Mikado, which in the Zodiac Killer letters are filled with references to The Mikado, so there's a very big case that can be made for Don Chaney. Now, I forgot to, I mentioned Deer Lodge Prison, so I would like to go to a suspect that I've talked about recently on the channel, and his name is Frank Dryman Valentine. His name is Frank Dryman. Frank Valentine was an alias, and the um, other one that he used was Vic Houston, a.k.a. Victor Houston. Now, when you look at Frank Dryman, I just want to share this. He, If you look at a photo of him next to the composite, you're going to see a lot of similarities. Very, very similar but this was a photo of Frank Dryman Valentine when he was in his early 20s. And the photo of him when he's actually at the age when the Zodiac Killer crimes took place, he looks quite different. I mean, in the past, I had expected that the Zodiac Killer was around the ages of 30 five to 40, mid-30s to early 40s. Let's just leave it at that. I mean, I, I don't even think it's appropriate to um, put a number on it because how on earth would... With, um, with a photo of Frank Dryman, even if you don't think that he was the Zodiac killer, could that not suggest that the Zodiac was actually closer to the age in the early 20s? Well, maybe, except that there was a... Um, recreation of the composite sketch and giving a shout out to DevosArt who uh, put this out there that shows what would the Zodiac look like if that composite after the Stein shooting was brought to life and that definitely appears to be someone who is much closer to age 40 rather than age 20 but um all right so I talked about the facial similarities of Frank Dryman Valentine and the elephant in the room with him is that he was in Deer Lodge prison but he wasn't released until January of 1969. I believe he actually had his parole hearing in November of 68, but he got out of prison in January of 69 and then goes to California. So he is in the state of California from January until October of 1969, and he would have had the opportunity, except that would have to be a theory that says that Frank Dryman Valentine did not commit the Lake Herman Road murders and that Lake Herman Road was committed by somebody else. If that were the case, how did he learn about it? All of those um, details in that famous letter, I will state some facts that only I and the police know. I mean, this is not some type of guy who worked in law enforcement. He was serving 13 years of a life sentence in Deer Lodge Prison for the murder of Clarence Pellet, which occurred in 1951. He shot Clarence Pellet after, um, well, in a carjacking attempt in, um, Montana, and then tried to sneak into Canada, which he was successful with, but then he ended up back in America, did those 13 years, and then he was sent to California to work in a furniture store, definitely not working with law enforcement. So with um, Frank Dryman Valentine, I think that 
His older photo has an extraordinary resemblance to the composite, and then his um, piece against him is he's not in California in 1968 at all. And speaking of someone who has some similarities to the Zodiac composite, might as well have a brief thing about Ross Sullivan. Yes, I think Drew Beeson was the person who said it. Ross Sullivan is a suspect because he looks like the composite sketch. That really is his um, big piece of evidence. The only other one is Ross Sullivan has a definitive connection to Sherry Joe Bates and the RCC Library. That's the Riverside City College. Sherry Joe Bates is an unconfirmed Zodiac victim. We aren't 100% sure if she was actually murdered by the Zodiac killer, but she was stabbed on October 30th of 1966, and Ross Sullivan was someone who was in the area. He worked in the RCC. He had a definitive connection to that location. But the problem is, though, Ross Sullivan is just too big to be the Zodiac killer. I know that sounds kind of silly when you lay it out like that, but Sullivan is a guy who was six foot two, three hundred 300 pounds in 1968 and 69. And we know this because of the article that had been written when he was arrested for indecent exposure and disorderly conduct, or variants of that, when he was running around naked and trapped a man in a phone booth. He was also prone to fits of outrageous obnoxiousness, which the Zodiac Killer didn't seem to do, but I think that's the more important part. Six foot two, 200, sorry, six foot two, 300 pounds. The footprints that had been left at Lake Berryessa were from someone who was most likely uh, 200 to 220 pounds. And also, um, I think that there would be an enormous difference between looking at a five foot eight person and someone who is six foot two. I'm five foot eight and I've never once been mistaken for being six foot two, even wearing boots and even wearing a costume. Absolutely not. Ross Sullivan is just simply too large to fit any of the witness descriptions. And I would like to go on to the next suspect and let's talk about Harold K. Snook, also known as Hal Snook, he's the only person on this list who is going to be a Zodiac suspect, but not a Zodiac killer suspect. Hal Snook is, uh, has been accused of writing the letters in the Zodiac hoax theory. And because I said hoax theory, writing letters, taking credit for murders that he did not commit. I think the biggest piece of evidence that shows that Hal Snook could have been the letter writer is the handwriting, similarities in handwriting. In fact, that's the only reason that I think Hal Snook is Thomas Henry Horton's suspect for writing the letters. He is the author of The Great Zodiac Killer Hoax, as well as The Myth of the Zodiac Killer, saying that this Napa County deputy wrote letters taking credit for crimes that he did not commit. And um, the other uh, point, though, that is mentioned about why Hal Snook um, is a suspect is not only the similarities to the handwriting, but also... Robert Graysmith excluded him from his book, more or less, and Horan's line is that every detective who sneezed on a piece of paper is mentioned in Graysmith's book, except for Harold K. Snook, Hal Snook, this brilliant Napa County forensic scientist, and um, someone who was actually at Lake Berryessa and made the casts of the footprints. He isn't mentioned as uh, widely as many of the other people. I'm sure you're going to be thinking of numerous people when you think of detectives and investigators in the Zodiac Killer mystery that will come to mind. The piece of evidence that goes against Hal Snook is how do you explain his relationships with other people that are involved in the hoax theory, particularly Robert Graysmith. 
because the hoax theory is more that Graysmith is the disinfo agent, Hal Snook is the letter writer, and maybe they were involved with the murderers, maybe they were not, and that's just it. You cannot, um, or the, the, um, the explanation has not been provided on how these people knew each other, why was this committed, was it just done for the Chronicle, or was it just done to be some type of foul prank, or was it done to create a 20th century Jack the Ripper, or was it done because of CIA drug smuggling, was it done to uh, notify people about the Manson family and the start and end of Helter Skelter? I mean, the explanations are just not present, and I've even said in a very bold fashion that the hoax theory is one of the few examples when someone has claimed to have solved a murder mystery, but you don't actually find out who the murderers are. And yeah, there are suspects, of course. Lake Herman Rowe could have been committed by David Walliott. Blue Rock Spring could have been committed by Donald Warren Porter. Barry Essa could have been committed by Dennis Land. And the murder of Paul Stein could have been committed by Hesham Zayed. Or perhaps um, Hal Snook himself could have been the murderer in that one. Somebody even once wrote into the comment section, not Thomas Henry Horn, but just somebody who proposed a theory that Robert Graysmith could have committed one of the crimes if he is viewed as an active participant in the hoax theory as the disinfo agent, but I do think that's the um, biggest strike against the hoax theory. The relationships between the listed participants are not completely certain, particularly Hal Snook and Robert Graysmith. Maybe there will be something in the future that will come out, and maybe there will not be. Let's wait and see. And here is the last one, Lawrence Kane. Lawrence Kane is a Zodiac suspect that was brought forward by Harvey Hines in 1974, I believe it was. Now, I'm going to share one thing that is going to sound a little bit obvious, but there is a there is a trick to it. I mean, first, Harvey Hines claimed that he solved the Z13 cipher that has three eights with circles around it. Some say that it's the sign of Taurus, others say that it's just the number eight. And Harvey Hines thought the solution to the Z13 cipher was name... Cain, 1924, meaning that the Zodiac Killer's name was Cain, and it was written from right to left, and that he was Jewish, like the way that Hebrew is written from right to left, and he was born in 1924. Lawrence Cain is and was, I should say was Jewish, he passed away in 2010, and he was born in 1924. The biggest piece for Lawrence Cain is that Cain was not his real name. He was born Lawrence Klein in 24. In the early 1940s, he changed his name to Lawrence K, K-A-Y-E. He had his name legally changed as a way to help uh, better find employment. And then he used aliases throughout the majority of his adult life. In 1968 and 69, he was using the name Lawrence Kane. So you have name Kane, 1924. That matches up with the time frame of the Zodiac Killer, and that's really the biggest piece of evidence. It's not Harvey Hines' solution to the Z-13. It's that Lawrence Kane was using that solution to the Z-13 in 1968 and 69 as his alias. Now, the biggest pieces against Lawrence Kane is that physical appearance. That just a, That's the way we have to say it. Lawrence Kane is someone who is too small to be the Zodiac, Perhaps he didn't have the education for it. Perhaps he, um, maybe he learned how to hide his hard Brooklyn accent. But, um, I mean, physical appearance. And someone just wrote into the comment section very clearly saying, 
Lawrence Kane has a very Mediterranean appearance, maybe even Arab-looking at some times. Like, if you didn't know him and you saw maybe an older photo of him, you would think maybe this guy's even Arab, Arabic. None of that is mentioned in the witness descriptions. I mean, this would have come up more, especially after the Stein shooting, although there was a uh, Christian Arab named Hesham Zayed who was accused of committing the murder of Paul Stein, someone who was a Jordanian immigrant too may have been involved with other taxicab robberies, but in all the other cases, whether it's at Blue Rock Springs or at Lake Berryessa, I don't think that you're having a suspect who is 5 feet 7 inches tall, which it appears that Kane was from his mugshot. He just has all of the physical parameters in the wrong direction. Okay, well, thank you to Lip for listening to this episode here, and if you have anything to say about the evidence for and against, and um, maybe there's a suspect that you would like to hear about that could be used in a future episode, you can put your ideas in the comments section below. If you want to challenge me on any of these points, please um, say something in the comments section, and if you want to um, continue the discussions, you can also uh, put anything you want down below. Free downloads of this show are available at Launchpad DM. One more time, the link is in the description box. This channel relies on your support, and the best way you can support the show is just by listening to things like Launchpad, as well as purchasing some t-shirts. We have a Teespring page in the description box as well. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Black Box Online Radio, and you can get my personal Facebook in the description box, and they're always... There is always that Instagram podcast that I'm rambling on about. Anytime I need to talk about the Instagram podcast, I always start jumbling my words. I don't know why. Instagram podcast. I will see you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Trying to be very slow and clear. See you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.